next guest on the podcast is a man who has one of the best Twitter names ever. Social networking concerns aside, this stands to be an interesting conversation because of the names on this man's resume. He's worked both sides of the fence, first adding Gadget as a senior editor and then jumping over to work on the PR side with brands like OnePlus, Qualcomm, and finally landing at TCL. But that's not where his story ends, and we'll get into that too. But mainly, I wanted to find out what it was like telling both sides of a story. Brad Mullen, a.k.a. Phone Wisdom. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Adam. It's great to be here. Again, because you have actually been on the podcast before. Have I? Yes, you have with okay. Jason. We did a we did an interview with TCL early days of the podcast. That was like three hiatuses ago, man. It was a while. Right. Sorry, I could have sworn it was just Jason who did it. So nope, it was you. You were there too. Apparently, it was a very memorable experience for me. <laughs> it it was, and I think you even spoke on it too. It was uh, it was really uh, it was really quite the impression. But yeah, it was mostly it was mostly a Jason Gurdon joint. Don't get me wrong, but you were there too. So. <laughs> Jason anyway. does love to talk. So, yeah. That, that Hi, is. Jason, if you're listening. Hi, Jason. Uh, so, Brad, it's taken me a while to get you on these airwaves. We've been tossing it back and forth for about probably about a year now. Truth. And when I say tossing it back and forth, I mean I'm tossing you the invitation. You're throwing it back at me, saying no. Uh, but now, and and your concerns were very justified because as a duly appointed representative of TCL. You know, you didn't want to, you know, be put in a position where you might have to, you know, spill beans or reveal secrets or, you know, whatever like that. Totally get that. But now, as of the email that I received 15 minutes ago, you are no longer at TCL and you are moving on to a new opportunity. So that's exciting for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I always wanted to join the podcast and it just it didn't feel right at the time because I wanted to make sure I was coming in as myself and not as a representative of TCL or any other company. So well, since two, I have, you know, two or three days between gigs and I'm a, officially technically unemployed for a couple days, I thought this was a perfect opportunity for me to come on. Yep. Back in November when I uh, when I took my hiatus from freelancing before joining, joining Digital Trends, I used to tell people that I was between dro- jobs, but not like the euphemistic between jobs. I'm actually just between jobs. I, right. <laughs> I, I have left one. I just have not started the other. But yeah. So. <laughs> oh, and hey, here's Juan. And he's saying hello. And he just got your email as well. So. That's Wonderful. Fun. Yeah. So I, I'm not actually seeing the chat. Is this just for you? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Actually, I don't even really know how this works. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but like I said, this is a this is pretty low hanging fruit on the as far as podcasting is concerned. But uh, yeah, I, I guess you can't see that. I guess if you go Aww. to YouTube and like mute it, then you can see it. But here, you know, uh, here, here's let me show you what I can do. I can do that. How about Ooh, that? Ooh, okay. Does that make it That's better? Fancy. Okay. All right. So um, <laughs> now you are also a you know an old school podcaster. You were podcasting back in the Engadget days, which is you know which is why this probably seems so natural for you. And you know, welcome back. Thank you. I think I have the same exact gear right now that I had when I was podcasting at Engadget. The blue Yeti mic is a relic from 2011, I think. And my headphones are probably eight or nine years old at this point. So it's really bringing back some memories. I was also on Miriam's podcast uh, as well. So okay, definitely yeah, a trip down right. memory lane for me. 
And you know, we were talking about the Yeti off air. That's a that's a workhorse right there. I've got I've still got a Yeti around somewhere, and I think I still have the handwritten note on it that the mute button doesn't work. Um, actually, oh. it doesn't it doesn't effing work on mine uh, because I discovered that live on the air one time, and that was oh, kind of no. fun. Hopefully, but, you didn't uh, say anything that you weren't supposed to say because that uh, could be really embarrassing. No, I think it was just me yelling at my family that I was still in the middle of a podcast, so please stop talking. And every and everyone else on the podcast is like, "Yeah, we heard that," and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> anyway, right. at least it wasn't like one of those conference calls where you're just you know telling the rest of your team what a jerk the other person on the line is, but you thought it was on mute and it wasn't. Oh, back in my tech support days, I was a master of the use of the use of the mute button. And like, you know, I'd be like, you know, I, I, I can't really I guess I'll tap the microphone to to uh, facilitate this. But like, yeah, just go ahead and click on start and then click on control panel, not settings. OK, you freaking moron. You know, and then I would, <laughs> you know, and, and nobody ever caught me. And it was it was amazing. Like my bosses you would be like master. <laughs> my bosses would be like, "What? What was that?" I'm just like, "It's okay. I was muted." They'll be like, "That's not okay, but all right." <laughs> anyway, um, and speaking of the old school days, uh, let's talk about some of your old school days. You got your yes. start. Now, did you get your start at Engadget, or were were there publications before that? There were. So, I feel like it's a pretty interesting story. Hopefully, I don't bore everybody with it. But I was actually at AT and T for six years at a retail position in the middle of Utah. And I, so I was a retail sales consultant. I was, honestly, I was pretty miserable. It was a great job at first. I think just like any other opportunity and you're a college student, you're just getting going. I felt like it was a great way to get my career going. I had no idea where my career was going to go. I certainly didn't see it going on the path it is right now. Funny how and that works, isn't it? <laughs> it really, it really is. I, I got my degree in health and wellness management, which that I have is... not used at all. So wait, I'm trying to remember the chronology here. Like, like Dom Lamberti, he's, uh, he's a health, con- he works in the healthcare field, and Chris mm-hmm. Davies, who I think was actually right before him, also used to work in healthcare. So. We're, I think we're onto something here. If you want to get into uh, mobile tech writing, you better study uh, healthcare. Hmm, there's a trend, apparently. Yes. So I, about three years into my gig at AT&T, I started writing for myself. And that's where the phone wisdom handle comes from, is I started a blog called phonewisdom.com. May it rest in peace. I haven't done anything with it in years. I don't Aww. even think it shows up anymore. I probably should look into that. And about a year after that, I started writing for unwiredview.com, which I believe hmm. is no longer an active website either. But it was uh, based out of Europe. And it was Brad an opportunity. Brad killing mobile tech blogs since 2003 or whatever. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> right. No, so, to, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to be specific, it's 2007 when I started my own blog. And in right, 2008, right. I did Unwired. And it was a really neat opportunity for me because they didn't have anybody based in the U.S. And this is uh, certainly a market that was uh, of high interest to them. So it made a lot of sense for them to bring me on. I did freelance work, essentially just doing reviews when I could, um, 
news. Like it didn't it didn't pay a whole lot, but for me, the the thing I was most interested in was being able to play around with all the devices in my free time. And then I could actually apply that to my job as a sales uh, rep, a sales representative. Hmm. Okay. And a lot of customers would come in and talk specifically to me because they knew I knew what I was talking about. Hmm. And right. that's, that's a, certainly a, a point of pride that I had in my job was I knew people were going to come in and say, hey, what do you think about this phone or that phone? And even though I worked for AT&T, I also had knowledge and experience with Verizon. And, you know, I knew all about the droid phones, for example, <laughs> um, even though we didn't have those at AT&T. So I right. could say, oh, yeah, I've played around with those. I've used them quite a bit. Uh, here are the pros and cons. And I would actually approach it like a reviewer would. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people really appreciated that because they trusted what I was saying because I actually acted like I knew what I was talking about. So it really was a cool thing, and and it was an opportunity to make money on the side too. So that win-win. Was, that was, right, it was definitely a win-win. So I did that for about three years, and then 2011 came around, and I was really miserable. I was thinking, okay, well, what is, where where is my career going? Am I going to be destined for retail management or just retail in general for the rest of my life? Am I going to be in sales? I had no idea where I was going, and that was a really difficult place for me to be in. And then everything changed when Josh Topolsky and the rest of the Engadget crew, well, about two-thirds of the Engadget crew, left mm. to form The Verge. Mm. Okay. I had already met Miriam and a few other folks on the Engadget team through some of the trade shows that I've been to. Because I've been to CES a couple of times. I went to CTIA back when that was the thing. Uh, it was really easy for me. I could go down straight down from Utah to Las Vegas. Yeah. Because um, that's where CTIA was at the time. Uh, there was even a time where I was in Orlando. And I really lucked out because my wife was okay with me taking vacation time. Like actual PTO time for mm-hmm. me to go on these little... <laughs> these little side quests, right? She's a keeper. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. And and it certainly paid off because those opportunities allowed me to, you know, network and meet people who are already in the business. And so when everyone left and had that mass exodus over to The Verge, I thought, okay, well, they're obviously hiring because everybody's left. Uh, Chris right. Siegler left. And, you know, he was somebody that I looked up to quite a bit, you know, especially given his position as senior mobile editor. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, Miriam's there. She's uh, now the senior mobile editor. We've met a couple times. She knows who I am. So I reached out to her. And um, the rest is history. And it cool. essentially within a week or two, my life completely transformed. Mm, that's so nice. I mean, it really is because in and I mean, similar story. I have a similar story, only take out AT&T sales associate and insert, you know, um, customer. What's the word I'm trying to look like? Call center smurf. Right. Basically. Call center. Mm-hmm. And and like, you know, that was my life and I was equally miserable. And now I made I made like a like a half transition before I went for full board because i actually worked for you know support for um an app developer before making the jump into like full-time 
you know, mobile. So, and that job was actually pretty cool. Like I, I kind of dug that job and I would have stayed, I would still be there today if they would have me. Um, but it turns out they wouldn't have me, which is why I had to make that, that next jump. But wow, that's, that. I mean, it's, it's interesting that our stories are actually kind of fairly similar. You know, I started off doing like freelance work for beer bunny basically with pocket now and, uh, you know, jumped over to Android authority and, uh, Good times. Right. When, when did you yeah. start at Pocket Now? Uh, 2012, I think it was. I, I lose track of the years, but it was basically like 2012. It was uh, somewhere right around the Samsung Galaxy S3, I think. Okay. So I think that's right in that right in that neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you were, you were jumping on right as Galaxy S was starting kind to of. streamline into just one device. I still yeah, remember the, the yeah. first two. <laughs> Those were miserable phones to review because I I had to review each phone separately. So if you remember back in the days of the Galaxy S2, where there was the, uh, I can't even remember the names, but like the Epic, um, the Epic 4G. And mm-hmm. <laughs> every single carrier had its own version of the Galaxy S2 because that's, just how the industry worked at the time. That's how they the rolled. Yep. yep. And Samsung didn't have the brand cachet yet to say, no, we're just going to do one phone and you're going to put up with it and you're going to like it. So at the time, I had to review basically four of the same device and had to figure out how am I going to review this in a way that just doesn't sound like copy and paste. And <laughs> that was miserable. So clearly things have changed since then and... Even even after that, the way that I reviewed phones also changed. I think we just all kind of evolved as things went on because back in those days, it was pretty much the Wild West of mobile blogging, yeah. tech journalism, phone reviewing, content creation, all of that. It was just very new and you could do basically whatever you wanted and you, you, you could be as creative as, as you wanted to be and it would actually... It, it, what's what's the best way to put it? Um, like every everybody was doing that, and I think you know all of the viewers were interested to see what people could come up with. Yeah, yeah. So how long how how long was your tenure at Engadget before you made the jump, which we are about to talk about? Just shy of four years at Engadget. Okay. okay so I the- started out freelance for about a year or so, then I went full time. And then once Miriam left, I became senior mobile editor. That's, I believe, in 2013. Okay. So I was senior editor for maybe two years before I left. So now I, I want to say I want to say three years because I'm pretty sure when we met in 2016, you were still we met. That was the first time we met face to face at CES 2016, and I'm fairly sure you were still at a gadget, but you might have like been no. Nope. Were you at were you at were you at were you at Weber Shambuck by that point? I was. Really? So, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly where I was, like which client I was representing at CES in 2016. It may have been Netgear, but it's hard to remember. So yeah, I left Engadget in November of 2014, and okay. that was one of the most difficult huh. decisions of my life. Okay. 
I, you know, it, I probably at the time just knew you from Engadget, so like that's how like I associated with you. But I, I mean, honestly, 2016, I was such a freaking noob. <laughs> I was that was like my first trade show ever, and like I was just you know mildly intimidated by basically everybody I met. So um, that's the probably... first CES is so difficult because you have no idea where to go or what to do. Um, I remember my first CES. I had zero guidance whatsoever, so I just walked into a random hall, went to the first booth that I saw, and, you know, they were, like, some of the really tiny booths that nobody ever visits, but I'm like, I'm just going through each of them, like, hmm, I wonder what these guys do, and here, show me what you're doing, like, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, so, you really, you really need an itinerary when you go to these things that I have since learned, but, man. Right, you kind of... You kind of need somebody to just walk you through, like, okay, go to the central hall, do this, go see these booths, and then you've got Pepcom, you've got Showstoppers. Like, you, you know, kind of give you the lay of the land and yeah. what's actually important what's not, because otherwise you can get so lost so easily and you lose so much valuable time. I remember when I when I went back in 2019, the, the app was actually fairly crucial to my workflow uh just because like it was you know i was able to know like on this day i'm going to be in this hall and that's where you're located and you're located and you're located so let's line up times that make sense you know for that and you know i still wasn't quite oriented enough that i wasn't like running back and forth across the hall like if if i could have made a more of an arc it would have been much more (laughs) much nicer but uh i'm hoping that uh when ces returns in person in 2023 (laughs) fully <laughs> then we can uh, then i'll be able to uh make less of a mess of it but uh so how was how was making the transition from freelance at engadget to going full-time there did you have any reservations whatsoever or did you just kind of know like this is the heart this is the card i'm hitching my horse to absolutely the latter so it was not a difficult decision for me to go from freelance to full-time at a gadget because ultimately I was going from a system where I just got paid per post to mm-hmm. a salaried position. And I was actually able to start getting benefits. So there was about a year of time where I had to rely on getting my own independent health insurance and stuff, which obviously is not cheap when you're trying to do it on your own. No, see, I married mine, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's helpful. But one one thing one thing to to share is when I was working for AT and T, I was not making enough to support my family. Right, and like I am fully on board with you know having my wife work. It wasn't that wasn't an issue. What was an issue is we had two brand new babies mm. that were sixteen months apart, mm-hmm. and. Every single day, we were both going to work and dropping them off at the grandparents. And we're like, this is this is frustrating because we're not getting any personal time with them. Also, we're putting a huge strain on, you know, our family babysitters, right? Yeah. So yeah. it was, you could, you could imagine just the intensity of the realization when I went over to Engadget or I got offered the position at Engadget. I went from, I'm working retail, horrible hours, um... And just being absolutely miserable there, not even able to make enough to support my family without my wife working to crunching the numbers. I was like, okay, as long as I treat this like a full-time job where I'm writing this many posts, 
Uh, they give me a stipend for all the administrative stuff. As long as I do all of that, then I'm working from home, able to support my family and also working my dream job because that really was my dream job. Mm -hmm. I had always looked up to Chris Siegler and the rest of the team like, man, I wish I could be doing what they could do and you know make a living out of it. And at the time, and I didn't think that was possible. Yeah. I just figured at the time, well, you know, this is more of a mobile blog or whatever. They're not making enough. They're probably not making as much as I am. And then come to find out, no, actually, I was able to make more by... <laughs> as, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, maybe I just wasn't a good enough salesperson at AT&T. Who's to say? But right. It was it was fantastic for me to have that realization it, that wow I can work my dream job and I can support my family and work from home all at the same time this is amazing oh and I can travel and I can review tech gadgets and do all these things like it was just such a eye opening experience for me it almost so, doesn't it almost doesn't seem real when you like first start doing it like you're just like this this is really my job like this is uh, oh I, I i still have those moments today and yeah so all Absolutely. right so, so it's, let's... it's like um what is oh, it the ahead. talking head song where it's like how did i get this beautiful house and right how did i get this beautiful wife how did i, <laughs> how get, did I get here yeah <laughs> and it's just it, it's it's good because it, it's good to know that there's somebody with like as weird a an origin story as my own so now let's talk about leaving that dream job because, and and um, I remember this quote from from my when I because you I think I want to say you no because you had already let you okay so I don't know what it was but somehow we were I was talking with the with the, some head people over at Android Authority about how you had left. Um, in gadget and moved over into uh, PR and one of the comments was oh that's right he has a family to feed um, so um, like okay uh, but not quite accurate but okay right uh, so I'm just kind of curious like I, I, obviously it probably wasn't that but like what made you decide to 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 move over from you know to the other side of the fence as it were there are a lot of reasons Certainly, and it, again, it was the one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make in my life because I recognized I was at my dream job and I was, I was actively deciding to leave my dream job for PR, and I didn't know how the dark side, as media <laughs> likes to call it, I didn't I know how say the dark that, side. But okay. <laughs> it yeah. I did, I did not know how things were going to be on the dark side. I figured, hey, this is going to be a, a neat opportunity, but it also could have been miserable for me. And I, it's possible I could have just immediately regretted the decision and wanted to come back. And then I feared, okay, well, would I even be able to come back? Obviously, having the journalism experience, I figured I could try PR for a while. And if it didn't work out for me, then I could move back maybe not to engage it specifically, but to some somewhere else right. in, in the field. And there's, there's a few main reasons why I made the jump. Okay. The biggest one being um, work-life balance. And I know PR is not exactly um, the, the standard for amazing work-life balance, but it was at least better. Right. Okay. So 
And, and the reason why I say that is because I found myself, uh, especially once I became the senior mobile editor, I found myself just completely swamped with all of the reviews and other responsibilities that I had. So for example, I, I was constantly staying up until two or three in the morning, um, writing reviews, editing reviews, doing all of that because mm. I was on deadline. And there were times where like we would go to Lake Tahoe on vacation and instead of me enjoying my vacation, I had a Nokia Lumia phone to review at the time. So yeah. I found I was, you know, the rest of my family is trying to enjoy the trip and I was stuck in the hotel room. And of course my wife was not too happy with me because mm. I'm not there with them enjoying the vacation. And so it was, it, it was experiences like that where I just, I realized, you know what, I need to find an opportunity where I can still be in tech, which is my passion, mm -hmm. but not find myself completely tired in the middle of the day because I've been up working until three or four in the morning. And even I would be going to the playground, taking my kids and um, I would, instead of focusing on them, I would be kind of, you know, sneaking glances at my phone, like, okay, well, what am I missing right now? Because there was so much. It's it was like the 2014 version of doom scrolling, right? <laughs> Where, um, like, I'm constantly looking at my email pitches that are coming in. Like, what are the things that I'm missing? What do I need to be uh, thinking about? Yeah. So even though I was there physically with my kids, which is great, I also wasn't there entirely mentally. And so by making the switch to Weber Shanwick going over to the PR side, uh, even though the work-life balance was still not amazing, I still found that once I was done with my work for the day, I was done. Right. Like I would, I would turn off my email. I would turn everything off and then just go and enjoy my time with the family. And yes, there were some occasional exceptions to that, but the one sure. nice thing about you know, being with the agency was um, it was, a, it was a little bit easier to completely shut off those kinds of things. And I know some people in the agency who would probably disagree with me um, on that kind of mm. depends on, on how high up in the agency they are. But for me in the position that I was at the time, it was, uh, it was a much more ideal situation to be in. And I still could work from home doing this. We even moved down to San Diego because Qualcomm was one of my primary clients. Mm. Like that was one of the main reasons why I chose Weber Shanwick was the opportunity to spend time working closely with Qualcomm. Okay. Cool. And, and I mean, I, I think when you're, when you're on that side, when you're a sort of like, I don't want to say controlling the narrative, but you, you have a say as to like how the, at least the, the initial stages of the story is being told. I think um, you have farther out deadlines that, you know, you can kind of space out the work a little bit more, whereas opposed to uh, like on the news side, like something could break and we're just like, Oh, we got to do something now. You know, we have to, uh, you know, we have to dive on this. And so, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think I've managed to avoid most of the late nights, or at least in terms of my digital trends work, not for the podcast work, because, you know, it's a second job. It is what it is. Um, but, uh, but, but in general, like, you know, there are things that crop up at like nine o'clock at night. It's just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I got to go downstairs now. I'll be back, you know? Right. Um, but, you know, at the same time, when I go on vacation, I'm probably not taking my laptop with me. So not not judging, 
not judging. Um, <laughs> that being said, on my last vacation, I did have three phones with me that, like, every time I stopped to take a picture, I would take a picture with one phone, take a picture with another phone, take a picture with another phone. And in most cases, each of those phones had, like, three different lenses. So picture, 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 phone, picture, 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 phone, picture, 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 phone. And, yes, it did turn into a piece that I ended up writing when I got back from vacation, but still, that was... I remember uh, that very well. Always having four or five phones in my pockets, thinking, when I'm 60, this cancer is going to be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bandolier of, uh, of Galaxy Notes or whatever. But, uh, Pretty but much. Yes. So, um, after being at Weber Shandwick for a while, you then transitioned over to working now remind me what the terminology is when you're with Weber Shandwick that's agency PR as opposed to in-house in-house TCL PR so what made you want to make the transition over to a single brand as opposed to you know you can work with Qualcomm or Netgear or whatever over here so what made you want to make that that move you know, it's interesting because, you know, I have conversations with my agency teams and, and just other people who are in the industry. And I feel like the general consensus is like there are eight, there's two types of PR people. There's agency people and in-house people. Every mm -hmm. once in a while, you can go back and forth. Like some people can do both, but I, I feel like that's more of a rare thing. And, and what it's all about is by being in-house, you can focus on one specific company and mm -hmm. you just get completely enveloped in all of the, the messaging, the roadmap, everything like that is your, that is your track. And even though you have a bunch of different products, you're, you're always focused on that one thing. Whereas with agency, um, you know, agency, you're, you're working on several different companies, which there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's great if you are really good at multitasking. Mm -hmm. But you also have billable hours where you need to be keeping track of every minute and every second that you are working with a given care with a given company or client. You and, okay? <laughs> and at least with my experience, this might be different for different agencies and different reps within those agencies. But for me, there were experiences where I was told you need to work with this client, and it doesn't matter who the client is. You're just you know, that's, that's your job is you, yep. you need to be able and willing to work with pretty much anybody you were asked to. And so there were quite a few companies who I would be doing work for. I won't name them, but uh, there, there were companies idea. where I just, I didn't have the passion to, to work with them. Now, granted, I still did my job. Right. I just wasn't exactly the happiest when I was working with those clients. And there's just there's nothing wrong with working for like a skincare client, but what do I care? Like a lot of people do care. Wonderful, right? And and more power to you. But I don't care. And I was so. fortunate enough to stay within tech. You know, I didn't. I wasn't asked to do anything outside of tech. Um, one of the reasons that Weber wanted to bring me on was because of my experience as a former journalist. So mm -hmm. I could offer some guidance to all these different teams as to, well, this is what media are looking for. And here are some ideas on how you can um, adjust the pitch. So it's actually going to resonate with, you know, this particular person that you're trying to pitch this, this particular target. Hmm. So 
Um, so I was I was fortunate enough to stay within tech uh, because that's really where my strength was. But there were certainly some clients um, who it, it was it was hard to really find the passion that yeah. I really needed to have with them. And, you know, it's still a good experience. I loved being able to um, get to know a whole bunch of different areas of tech mm-hmm. besides mobile. And I'm very grateful for that. And I feel like being on the agency side was a great stepping stone for me um, in my career. So going from media to agency to in-house, I feel was a really good progression. So Jason, you know, who we mentioned earlier, uh, Jason actually took a chance on me. He, according to him, he had wanted to bring me on for quite some time. And we finally were able to make it work where he could... Um, bring me into this position as um, senior manager of communications for the North America region for TCL. Right, and it's not just, it's not all of TCLs. It's specifically TC TCL communication, which is essentially the mobile side. Of course, you've got the televisions, which are are great, and um, it's a completely different business group. Obviously, we mm-hmm. do a lot of things together, but you know they have their own teams, they have their own PR rep. And so I came to work primarily on the mobile side of the business and knowing that's where my passion has always been is in mobile. I felt like this is a great opportunity for me to really get back into the roots of, you know, why I got into this business in the first place. And so being able to focus specifically on TCL phones, of course, there was Alcatel and BlackBerry at the time. There's a, there, there were a lot of things going on that were really exciting and really uh, allowed me to engage a lot more than, than I had been at, at Weber. And, you know, and, and I had, I came back because, you know, you, you were working with TCL, who's a mid-range brand, you know, let's be honest, they're not going to, they're not going to put out the flashiest stuff out there. And, you know, I would, you know, privately you know not in any official capacity but you and i would be chatting about various tcl products offline and you know i would mention i would point out like you know one little you know picadillo that i found and you'd be like yes but you know consider this angle and i'm just like you know what you're absolutely right because you right. Know, that is that is a really good value add for you know i forget what we were even talking about at the time it was probably a tablet or something um but uh <laughs> but uh but i mean it was just it was it was refreshing to work with a, a person in the PR side who, you know, really knows this stuff because, you know, they because you can draw those parallels. You know, you can be like, well, you know, this tablet is like this other tablet over here, but we offer you this and this and they don't. You know, oh, that's a good point, you know, and and so it's it's kind of like you know i've said i say it often enough um but it's kind of like having the other team's playbook you know when you're uh when you have to put your your phones up against another company that's also making mid-range phones then you know you know what they have to offer so um so you know you can you can obviously you know help not only develop a story but you know develop a story as it compares to the other to the competition that is out there and you, and you actually know it like you, you know, it's not just like, Oh, we've read the PR materials from, I'm going to throw out a name, Samsung. You know, we know what those fans do yet. You've read the stuff, but you as you know, Brad Mullen, you actually know it. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's a major asset when it comes to a brand. And frankly, I think more companies should do that. I a hundred percent agree. I think it, 
it was it was a huge strength for me coming into um, the side of the industry. Certainly, having that experience as media first, and by doing so, I of course, having reviewed all these different phones. Granted, this now that I've been with TCL, it it was I I was at Weber for about three years, and coming over to TCL that meant that I was about three years removed from being a reviewer. So I didn't know every little thing about every single phone anymore, like I used right. to, like having the encyclopedia or encyclopedic knowledge of every single phone but i still knew the oh i don't even have that now don't worry about it yeah it was (laughs) it was you know hey i i know like just using you as an example like okay if we're pitching you on something well i know you i have worked with you and uh, having that um that experience and that knowledge in addition to just being on the side of of the reviewer i I I have <laughs> I have a pretty good int- intuition of you know what you are looking for and what you're mm-hmm. not looking for. So I'm not going to spend time trying to pitch you on something that doesn't matter, right? Uh, I would rather spend my time trying to find the best possible targets instead of just doing this um, this blanket approach to yeah. you know just mass emailing everybody. Um, I don't I don't love taking that approach because that never works right so and it's also something that you appreciate that i'm bringing that personal touch to you like hey like this is something that i know at least i have a 90 percent um <laughs> like there I, I feel like there's a 90 percent chance that you will be interested in this and if you're right. not then you'll just delete the email whatever it's no biggie but i also don't i i okay sorry i'm all over the place here but um <laughs> But I, I remember being media and being pitched on things that were completely irrelevant to anything that I was doing. And generally, if I started getting pitches from certain people that were just consistently off, I would start not even looking at their pitches because I knew that they were going to be crap. Right. So I never wanted to become that guy like on the PR side. I didn't want to be coming to media like, hey, here's this pitch. I, you know, it's it's going to be something dumb or irrelevant to you, but I need to do it anyway just to satisfy, uh, you know, the people above me, um, just to satisfy my, my, satisfy my clients or my company. No, it, right. that doesn't do anybody any good. I wanted to say, okay, well, I know Adam works on this and this and this. He doesn't work on these other things. So why would I pitch him on these other things? Right. And, and, and we appreciate that. So are we allowed to talk about where you're going? I think we might have mentioned it in passing, but I'm just kind of curious. Is, is that is that, a, is that a wall I'm not allowed to uh, go up against? Or I'm not sure like where you... I mean, we you can can't ta- speak in any official capacity for them, obviously. Right. But, but. Right. So, yeah, we can talk about it. We just can't really talk in depth on any of the products or... Of course. Of course. Anything so, like that. But we can say so, where I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, so you're going to MediaTek, um, yes. which which is exciting. I think there uh, MediaTek is a very interesting brand, at least as far as as far as I'm concerned, because 
you know, when you and especially, you know, you you mentioned that you moved down to San Diego because you wanted to work so closely with Qualcomm and now and, you know, years later, you're going to work for their direct competitor. And so I was just kind of curious, like, what was it about MediaTek that drew you and said, yeah, I want to I want to talk about that. I see a lot of growth at MediaTek. They're on a very good trajectory right now. Mm-hmm. And even during MWC, there is an announcement that MediaTek now has... MediaTek is now in more Android devices than Qualcomm. Okay, and, right, right. Right, so... so I think about that for a second. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think for years, MediaTek has had this reputation of being like the little brother to Qualcomm for, mm. you know, for what... I, I, I'm not sure if that is actually... Guilty. yeah like i'm not sure how accurate that is but you know that is the overall perception and like even when i was a reviewer you know i admittedly looked at mediatek as okay this is uh these are are chips that you would find on you know cheaper more affordable phones right Right. so but you see what mediatek is has been doing the last few years um you know one thing that they've been doing is these MediaTek summits, which is kind of what Qualcomm does as well. Like both of them mm-hmm. do it. But the last couple of years, it's really helped increase the brand awareness for MediaTek, where bringing media and influencers and analysts into the fold and really showing everybody what they what is on the roadmap, what they are capable of doing. One of the things that, that MediaTek told me um, as I was going through an interviewing of them was that everybody has at least one MediaTek device in their house somewhere. They may not know exactly which device it is, but MediaTek <laughs> is in everything, like TVs, routers, all sorts of IoT and smart home. They're just in, in everything. And so I see this as a fantastic opportunity to really help the company continue to grow and expand. And also for me on a personal level, it's great to be able to you know get more experience with other areas of tech outside of specifically mobile right sure so yeah so i'm looking at at this as a great way for growth not for my not just for myself but for the company as well so what is it about um socs that you find so compelling because first you wanted to work with calcom now you're working with media tech like what is it about the the brains of the devices that makes it so why are you so attracted to that particular component i have to i have to ask so that's actually a very good question and i i i feel like even though i am not the most technical of mobile geeks like i I am not like a non-tech where you know you get into the nitty-gritty on every little thing the fact of the matter is the soc is the it's it's the heart it's the brain of Mm -hmm. your mobile devices it's the brain of basically every electronic device whether you realize it or not and i kind of like that Having this opportunity at MediaTek, I get to learn even more about the inside story. Like how, like what makes these devices tick? How does this all come together, right? Mm. So 
because without SOCs, you you don't have anything. Without the without the silicon, without the semiconductor, um, nothing's going to work. And so it really is fascinating to see not only how that translates into mobile technology specifically, but just mm-hmm. tech in general. And I see so many areas of expansion and growth, especially over the next decade or so. I feel like you know you have new um, areas of technology coming out. Like you look at what's going on with AI and augmented reality um, are, are the two that really come to mind um, right away. What kind of role is the SOC going to play? What is what is media tech going to be doing in those fields? Like those kinds of things are also really fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. And those are things that I can't necessarily answer right now. But to be a part of this process where we are looking into all these new areas of technology and and even existing ones and seeing how we can continue to further, uh, forgive me for saying it, but further the innovation because I've been in PR long enough. Understood. Yeah, I'll allow um, it. I really, <laughs> I I do everything I can to keep that word out of pitches, but every once in a while it actually is relevant. So I try to only use that word when it actually makes sense to use it. We so, appreciate it. But in in this case, of like just generalized innovation over the next decade or so, that I think we're going to be seeing a lot of really neat applications and. I am very curious to see how we as media tech will be in the forefront of all that new technology and, and pushing that forward. Awesome. Awesome. So, all right. So we're coming up on the end of our hour and because this is a working lunch and I kind of need to get back to things, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) now um, it didn't even occur to me until you were literally on screen and we were five minutes into this conversation that I normally, in 2022, I have been finishing off Beyond the Doubts with a series of questions, a sort of lightning round of questions. And it occurs mm. to me that I never actually gave you the questions ahead of time because I, I, I usually offer to. So I apologize for that. But I also realize that these questions are pretty much geared towards people in my field, not so much yours. So I am going to attempt to adjust them on the fly All right. <laughs> so, that, so that they're relevant to you. So bear with me. <laughs> um all right but yeah so let's uh let's let's dive into these questions so uh the first question is are you a roamer or do you have one set location for work i work from home so i guess that's one set location although with media tech i will probably be working hybrid once the office opens okay but you'll but when you are not working in the office you have one set location to work at home i guess is I what see. i'm driving and yes. and you actually literally built yours in your backyard so <laughs> i did so. you know thing, things were getting crazy during the pandemic so i i needed some space for myself and this was a perfect opportunity to do it understood what was the last song or artist that you listened to while you were working ooh Probably, I mean, the most recent one was probably the Genshin Impact soundtrack. Okay. But, All right. Um, another one is uh, a group called The New Division, which is kind of like a uh, like an indie synthwave kind of group. Hmm. Okay. So. You know, Nick Sutrick pointed out that Stabbing Westward had a new album this year, and so I've been on a Stabbing Westward kick for the last couple of days, so... 
Stop. I have not even thought about stabbing westward for years. Now that's a name I've not heard for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I even saw them once when they opened for Depeche Mode, but that was a long time ago. That sounds right. Yeah, what was it? How did Nick describe them as like a depressed industrial I think, <laughs> which is not wrong. Um, yeah, I used to I used to dig them back in the day, and you know what? Turns out I still do. So good for good for them, and good for you, and good for us. Okay, so now we have to do some adjustments on the fly. Um, what is one word as a PR person that you try not to include into a pitch? I think <laughs> we actually just kind of talked about it. Innovation, yes. I okay. I very much because I feel like. And the word innovation becomes a crutch for PR people. Like it's just easy enough and marketing in general, let's be honest, like any press yeah. release, you usually see innovation in there somewhere. It just has mm-hmm. become, it's, it's like the tech version of, uh, and, um, like you just kind of use it as filler. And so I try very hard to just not use it at all. Like, like I was just saying, unless it is actually applicable yeah, and and literally relevant to what I am trying to do and say. It does kind of feel like a buzzword, though. At, 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 it very in much is cases. a buzzword. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as a PR person, what is one thing that you wish you knew? Which actually, this may not be relevant because you were kind of you lived the life. But what what was one thing that you wish you knew about the people that you were emailing the 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 media people that you were emailing? Like whether it's in general, like I wish I knew about media people in general. But you were one, so I don't think that's relevant. But like, what's one thing that you would want to know about? You know the uh, these interim mobile editor at at Digital Trends before you sent an email. What's one thing that you would like to know? That's a very interesting question because, like you said, I do have a very different approach, approach to it. Um, just because I I know, like in, in this case, the interim editor of Digital Trends, right? Right. Um, but I think... I think, you know, the one advice that I would have for most PR people in that situation is make sure that you are reaching out to the right person because that okay. can make all the difference in the world. So right. like you, you have your beats, you have your area of specialty, um, but Digital Trends is a large team. You have yes. a lot of different people working on different things. And so you might have one person who are who is working specifically with TCL and you know, you just need to make sure that you are, you know, getting the right audience and that you are catering your message to the person that you are reaching out to. Okay. And so, so getting to know them like on a personal basis, that's something that is very important to me, not just because of my job. Like I am a very personal person. I love getting to know people. I love being social. Um, so I just, Anytime I go on these these media events, if I go to New York or CES, like it's a reunion tour for me, and I love mm-hmm. just being able to catch up with everybody. Um, and when you have those connections, it's so much easier to just be able to reach out to them and say, "Hey, like let's let's chat about this. What do you think? You know, is this something that you'd be interested in? Is this something that you know I should go, you know, talk to somebody else on the team? What's what's your take on it?" Gotcha. So that, I don't know if that even answered your question. No, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, like <laughs> I said, we're kind of we're kind of working things on the fly here, so no worries. 
How long does it take you to write a proper pitch? Now, normally, this is a question about reviews. So there's, you know, a usual set of answers. But I'm I'm actually kind of curious. Like, from the time you sit down and say, I'm going to email Adam about this brand new thing that MediaTek is making. Mm -hmm. Like, are we talking minutes? Are we talking hours? Are we talking days? I'm just kind of curious. So there's there's definitely a process involved. Mm -hmm. But I will say, once I have all of the information that I need from my sources in-house, then it usually is, I would say, probably an hour, sometimes even less. Okay. So I'm honored. The number of times you've emailed me, you put a lot of time into me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair, like there are times where the pitch is, you know, a little bit more generalized and maybe not geared specifically towards you. However, when I'm going through a pitch, one thing I do look at is, okay, well, here is my the list of people that I am reaching out to. Does this apply to each person on the list? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're on the list and I'm reaching out to you with a pitch, I'm going to be looking at, like, okay, well, do I need to change this? Do I need to, to, to adjust this a little bit to fit Adam specifically, right? Right. So I don't, I don't want to make it sound like uh, I'm doing an hour for each individual no media you have a can, you have a canned response the and then you tailor it as as necessary i get it right so that's so that's, but that's a throwback to my tech support days <laughs> you know. right so yeah but it, the time can vary depending on the material um sometimes it's just a super quick hey just want to reach out to you and let you know that these new phones like just thinking tcl brain right now but like hey, you know, here is this new phone um, that is coming out. We just want to give you a heads up on it. Here's a few like, you know, high level KSBs. But also one thing that I do is I put together a digital press kit that has all the images, any press release or fact sheets, spec sheets, whatever. I put all that together. And honestly, one here, here's one thing. Um, And again, I get really long winded, so I apologize. But you're you fine. Know, one one thing that I have learned over the years is um, you need to make it short and sweet. It, it's like a sales pitch, right? You only have a very short period of time to catch somebody's attention. And right. the same applies to PR. So if I'm reaching out to you with the pitch, I'm not going to send a full novel's worth of, of stuff unless it's absolutely important. But even then, I only do, like, I, I, I try to send the most important things in the first couple sentences so you get hey here's the overall point here's the overall pitch of what we're trying to do if you need yeah. more information about it here it is under under the fold as you know you like to as say in, a, in the media sometimes or at least in back the, in back in the, in days, the old school papers were a thing yeah. yeah yeah so anyway that's that's kind of how i look at it is um the shorter the better and i can certainly you know send all the other information together as part of a packet so you can look through it and then if you have questions, you reach out to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. This one's going to take some doing, so bear with me here. Um, all right. Like, so we, we talked about how when you're, when you're working agency, you don't really have much of a choice about who you work with. You know, they tell you to go work with someone. So now the the question is normally has there ever been a product that you received and tested that was so bad you decided not to review it, but my I guess uh, to ask you the question has there ever been a client 
that you were asked to work with that and you don't have to name names <laughs> so 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 we're not burning any bridges here but okay um and 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 maybe you went and did your job but maybe in the back of your mind you were thinking like why is this company doing this thing that they're asking me to help them write their story for <laughs> all the time <laughs> okay all the time it yeah <laughs> there's definitely not just one instance there were there are several clients where you you look at this like I'm I'm struggling to catch the vision, but I will do the best I can with the material I'm given. Okay. And you know that's I, I think that's I, I think you, that's common with most agencies. Without naming any names, can you give like a general example of like I were I worked with a phone maker that had a really no no well let's not go there <laughs> let's not go right, there anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it'll, um, it'll be too difficult. So yeah, it would be too to, to navigate those particular. All right, I'm just gonna flat out skip this next question because you don't you you do written content, you do written pitches, you don't really do audio or video. Um, although I guess I could ask you back in the day when you were in the media, did you generally prefer written audio or video content, and why? Um. And I should say making them, not what, not consuming them. <laughs> that was going to be my follow-up question, is yeah. making or consuming. So in terms of making, I would say writing. Because okay. I've, always, I've always been a writer at heart ever since I was a kid, um, always writing stories and things. So I feel like writing has always been my primary means of expressing myself and, and sharing my voice. I, of course, did the Engadget Mobile podcast for two years. So audio was, I guess, the secondary. Um, but I always felt very nervous being on video. I always hmm. had a very difficult time. And and I was required to do some videos, like for some of the big reviews, like iPhone or Samsung reviews with Engadget. I needed to be in yeah. front of the camera. But I never felt at ease in front of the camera. Well, you have done it like a champ for these past 57 minutes, so let me just tell you. Well, fact, thank I'd, you. I'd, I'd say arguably better than me. All right, uh, we got three <laughs> more questions, so let's uh, bang these out real quick because we're running out of time. Influencers, here to stay or a bubble waiting to burst? Here to stay, but I think just as uh, media has evolved over the years, uh, influencers will continue, continue to evolve. I mean, you take a look at TikTok. A couple of years ago, it really wasn't a big thing for tech influencers. And all of a sudden, now we're seeing a lot of uh, tech influencers making TikTok one of their primary platforms. So I think it's here to stay. It's just um, the formats will change over hmm. the years. All right. So, and this one actually is is kind of refreshing that I can I can ask you this question, not being in the industry, but who's the first reviewer that you listen to or read or watch when reviews drop on a new product? Like, who who's your go-to? Who's your, your stable? And you do not have to say me. It's totally understandable. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. In fact, I would actually probably be a little insulted that you were lying to me if you said me. <laughs> Right. So. <laughs> yeah. This this is going to be a difficult one because I I I feel like I would get in too much trouble. 
But at the same time, I don't feel like there's one specific person that I always go to no matter what. I think oftentimes it depends on the kind of content. It depends on what I'm, what I'm like reading into. Certainly I have my, you know, as, as I tend to call them like top tier media in the sense of like, you know, CNET, The Verge, Engadget, you know, all those folks, like I always try to um, keep up with what they're saying. What are the, what's the big news coming out? But I also, you know, there's, there's plenty of YouTubers out there that I like to, um, that I like to watch. So I'll give one example because, you know, he's, he's a good friend, um, Michael Fisher. Like I, he's, he's a common name for this question. So that, no, no shame, <laughs> no, no shame. And I, I just always appreciate his voice like he has a very natural voice. He knows what he's talking about. His video quality is impeccable and you can always see and sense the passion that he has for what he's talking about. And, and one thing that I've seen about Michael is his, uh, his, his shift in focus over to foldables and, um, on other niches like that, but primarily full foldables and just seeing exactly how much passion he has to, to talk about, you know, this new area of technology that's so fascinating. And in your, um, in your time at TCL, I'm sure you've had more than a few conversations about foldables with one Michael Fisher. So, um, indeed. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And so last question, if you weren't working in this field, what would you be doing for a living? Oh my goodness. Well, I, I, the, the path I was on until I went over to Engadget was, was in sales. Yeah, I don't think I that. would have stayed in. Yeah. <laughs> the path well, I was on was tech support and screw that, screw the hell out of that. <laughs> it's interesting. So everyone tells me that I have a great broadcasting voice. So part of me thinks, you know, if I had started down a career path where I focused on broadcasting specifically, who knows where I would have ended up. Right. Yeah. So I do think like if I weren't doing what I do now, that could be a very interesting career choice to be in. Okay. Play by play for the Padres. I like it. That works. <laughs> All right, Brad. I, uh, I could so be the golf voice. There you, oh, you could do the golf. And he's going voice. in for the putt now. Oh, and he just, it was just a little bit outside. He just needs one more. Get it. I don't even know like what to say as a golf commentator, but I, I've got the voice for it. I was going to say, I don't think outside is a thing, but anyway. Yeah. No, that's, that's thinking, baseball. Just a little bit baseball. outside. Yeah, just a bit outside. Tried the corner and missed. Anyway, um, so, all right, we are at the end of our hour, so we need to go ahead and wrap things up. So now is the time that I roll out the red carpet for you, and you can let everybody know what's going on and how to find you and all that fun stuff. Sure. So you can find me at Phone Wisdom on Twitter, all one word. I am Brad Mullen on Instagram. I don't really post as much there as I do on Twitter. I'm much more active there. So those are really the best ways to get in touch with me. Honestly, I'm pretty much on all of the social medias because you kind of have to be in, yeah. in this line of work. So it's pretty easy to find me. Excellent. Well, Brad, thank you so much for finally leaving your job so you could finally come on my podcast. Because <laughs> we, we all knew that was the reason. But no, no. So in all seriousness, thank you for, uh, you know, thanks for not uh, telling me to go blow myself and like, you know, just a year ago and say, I'm never going to do it. So just stop asking. But you stuck well, with it. I appreciate it. Thanks and, for being uh, patient with me. 
and we got you on. And at the end of the day, that's what's important. So thank you for coming on. And to everybody who tuned in during this live stream and to everybody who's listening to the high-quality broadcast later on, I want to thank you all for listening and for giving us the benefit of the doubt.